Gracious God, we are so grateful for all of the ways that you have provided for us this week. Our food, our homes, each other, we know that all of this is a gift from you. And we are so grateful. We thank you, God, for the gift of good pastors. We ask that you would give rest and peace to Pastor Chris and Pastor Mikhail as they are away this week. Ask that you would give them vision for our congregation and that they would come back feeling ready to do the rest of the good work that you have prepared for them. We pray for Pastor Banning as he comes to share the words that you have spoken to him, God. I pray that you would give him peace as he gives us this message and you would give us eyes and ears to see and hear all that you are doing. We thank you for each other, God. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the silence and the noise and all of it, God. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, So as I mentioned earlier, my name is Banning, so that means that I'm not Pastor Chris and I'm not Pastor Mikhail. Uh, So Chris and his family have been on vacation the last few weeks, and we're really grateful that they had that time away to rest and uh, have fun and play. And Pastor Mikhail is currently on sabbatical for the next few weeks. And so we're also grateful for that time for her and her family to be away. So before we begin tonight, um, two things that I would just want to say to you all. Uh, One, I'm very, very grateful uh, for this church community. Uh, It's a church community that not only develops and encourages young pastors, but actually gives us space to grow. Um, Very, very grateful for that. And pastors Chris and Mikhail and the leadership team have absolutely led the way in that. Um, The second thing that I'd like to say is, I'm very, very grateful for the love and support that this church family has shown me and my wife and my daughter, Lucy, as we've transitioned into this season called parenthood. Um, And so over the last eight weeks, it's become increasingly evident to me uh, that God is doing something in this local body of believers and that our capacity for love and neighborliness is growing. Um, So thank you. Uh, As we turn to the lectionary text for today, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 5, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 5 and 9 through 10. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers in the back do have them, so if you'd like one, feel free to wave them down. And I'd like to invite you to stand as we read God's Word tonight. And I'll actually be reading from uh, the NRSV translation tonight, so you can follow along on the screens if you'd like. So hear the word of the Lord. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Look, we are your bone and flesh. And for some time, while Saul was king over us, it was you who led out Israel and brought it in. The Lord said to you, It is you who shall be shepherd of my people Israel, you who shall be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. We'll skip ahead to verse 9. David occupied the stronghold. He's talking about the city of Jerusalem. And named it the city of David. David built the city all around from the millow inward. And David became greater and greater. For the Lord, the God of hosts, 
was with him. This is the word of God for the people of God, and let us say together, would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So David is king. This is the moment that we've been waiting for. David is king over all of Israel. So for the last few weeks, we've been journeying through the books of First and Second Samuel, and we've been retelling some of the more well-known stories found in Scripture. And these stories, they, they talk about the complexities of the human-to-human relationship. They talk about the complexities of the human-to-God relationship. Uh, these, these stories, they point to our hope in a, in a future king, that king being Jesus, and to a future kingdom, that kingdom being God's kingdom that we pray would become uh, manifested here on earth. And these stories, they also show us the humor of God's grace, taking a lowly, dirty shepherd in David, the one maybe we least expected that any, anything would come of him, and he patiently establishes him as king. These stories, they also remind us of our ability and our tendency to, to screw things up. Uh, they, but they, they teach us that despite our downfalls and our capacity to mistrust God, God's covenantal love and grace still choose us. And so this week as we continue in our Tales We Tell Jewish Children sermon series, that's a tongue twister, this is the moment we've been waiting for. All the signs have been pointing to this. So for those of you who follow NBA free agency, David becoming king is like LeBron James signing with the Los Angeles Lakers. Like, it was just inevitable. For those of you who don't follow NBA free agency, David becoming king is like the inevitability that you will crave Chick-fil-A on Sundays. (laughs) And though I haven't seen the movie yet, I hear it's almost like the inevitability that you will cry when you see the Mr. Rogers film. These things are inevitable. And whether we're familiar with the story of David or not, uh, earlier in the book of 1 Samuel, the Lord had anointed David to be king. And so it, it gave us a pretty clear picture of what was to come. Somehow, some way, David would be king. And so how do we get here? So a lot's actually happened from last week's text to this week's text. So last week we were in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 1. And this week we're in chapter 5. So though they're only separated by three chapters, seven and a half years has passed uh, since David lamented Saul and Jonathan's death. And what transpires in those chapters gives us a little bit context uh, for what's taking place here in chapter 5. So I'd like to just briefly review the things that, uh, that bring us to chapter 5. So after David laments the, the death of Saul and Jonathan... He turns to the Lord and he seeks guidance. And he says, Lord, where should I go? Should I go back to Judah where I'm from? And the Lord said, yes, yes, go to Hebron, which is the capital of of Judah, and go back home. And David demonstrates his trust in God and and goes back to Judah. And so once he and his family settle into the the of, uh, the town of Hebron, the capital of Judah, the people of Judah come to him and they anoint him king over the house of Judah. And notice that David's only made king over Judah at this point. And the other 11 tribes of Israel are still under the rule and kingship of the house of Saul. But now that Saul and Jonathan are both dead, uh, we ask, who's in charge? So Saul has another son, Ishbel, 
who's now taken control of the throne and is ruling over the rest of Israel, the other 11 tribes. And so we're left with Ishbel, who's ruling over the 11 tribes, and David, who is king of Judah. And perhaps we're wondering, maybe these two could get along probably better than, they, than David and Saul could get along. But as we continue reading, we quickly learn that tensions were pretty high between Judah and Israel, and a series of unfortunate events uh, unfold. We read of battles, uh, accidental murders, and very purposeful murders. Uh, We read of assassinations and betrayal, and these are the things that kind of summarize the time between last week's text and this week's text. Um, A couple names just to throw out. Abner is this guy. He was the commander of Saul's army. Uh, He's dead. Ishbel is assassinated. He was the ruler of all of Israel. And so Israel is in utter dismay. They're distraught. They have no king, no ruler. And in case you didn't catch all those names and places, here's the big takeaway. Israel, uh, they are sheep without a shepherd. And so we come to this text with most of Israel in, in a very frightened position. They have no king, no commander of their army, no one to protect them from the mighty Philistines, and no one to lead them. And so the tribes uh, of Israel, they have no other option but to turn to David. And so the leaders of the tribes take the humbling trip down to Hebron to begin negotiations. And so the representatives come to David and they appeal to him, David, 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 we're like you. We're your own bone and flesh. You know, in the past when Saul was king, look, we just want you to know we recognize that it was really you that was running the country. You were the one leading our armies out in battle and bringing them back in safely. You were really in charge. And so they kind of stroke David's ego Uh, And they appeal to him, please become our king. Because really, they have nowhere else to go. Israel is left with two options. Either they turn to David, or they wait for the inevitable attack from the Philistines and become nothing. And so they choose wisely, and they turn to David. Uh, But they have no bargaining power. Uh, They have nothing tangible to offer him. All they have is to give their loyalty. But Really, all they want in return is for David to to protect them and lead them and and shepherd over them. And so David agrees, and he makes a covenant with the other tribes of Israel, and David becomes their king. And now David's journey to the throne as the Lord's anointed one is complete. In the verses that the lectionary text skips over, it, it shows David capturing the city of Jerusalem. This is kind of his first political move. Um, And then the text jumps to, he occupies the stronghold, names it the city of David, and David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And so, here we are, David is king. This is the ultimate underdog story, right? This is rags to riches. Uh, David goes from being this lowly shepherd, the eighth son of his father, Jesse, from the town of Bethlehem. He's even small in stature. And now, all of a sudden, he's king over all of Israel. He's the one that will lead and shepherd and rule over God's people. And he's the one who God chose. He's the one who God anointed, uh, whom God has given this power and responsibility to lead God's people. And really, this would make kind of a a great end to the story, kind of a happily ever after story. Uh, You know, the one we least expected is now king, And the little shepherd boy is now shepherd over all of Israel. 
And even the last verse kind of seems to be this closing statement. David became greater and greater because God was with him. The end. We can go home. Uh, But obviously this is not the end of the story. And this week as I was studying and preparing for the sermon, I realized that there there are a lot of different things happening in this text. There are a lot of different angles that uh, we could look at this text from. One of those might be, uh, if you trust and obey as David did, you will prosper. Uh, and, you know, I didn't feel super comfortable giving you that message because the case is, that, that's not always the case. Um, I, I do believe that we should trust and obey God, but that may not lead to your prospering. Um, so I didn't feel comfortable bringing you that message tonight. Uh, the other one might be that as David is now king over this united kingdom, uh, it, perhaps it's a foreshadowing to, uh, to God making all things new and establishing his kingdom here on earth. Perhaps this kingdom of David and the Israelites is a foreshadowing to the kingdom that God wants to make here on earth. Um, but what I found most intriguing about this passage, and, and stay with me here, it, it, it's jam-packed with potential. And potential is kind of a curious thing. It, it's, it's a space where your hopes and dreams uh, are made. It's a space for development. It's a space for growth. Uh, it's a space where anything is possible. Uh, I have an eight-week-old daughter, and she's literally a bundle of potential. Uh, every moment we're wondering, what will you do next? When are you going to uh, cry? When are you going to laugh? When are you going to walk? What are you going to do for uh, a job when you grow up? Where are you going to go to school? It, so much potential. Um, and that's, that's what I see in this text. And now that David is king, and now that all of Israel is united, what's going to happen next? And every possible outcome lies before David in this kingdom. As a king and as a husband, as a father, David has potential for great success because the Lord is with him. But because of our capacity and David's capacity to screw things up and our tendency to not trust God, David also has the potential for horrible failure. And so backing up a minute, when David is made king over all of Israel, the type of kingship and rule that the Israelites had in mind, it resembles something of what we see in Deuteronomy 17 and Psalm 72. These passages paint a picture of a king who is not consumed by stockpiling riches or building fancy palaces or temples or obtaining honorific titles or securing a dynasty, building armies or hoarding land. But instead, these passages paint a picture of a king who defends the cause of the poor gives deliverance to the needy from oppression and violence. This king would honor and fear the Lord, and he would not exalt himself above other community members, and he would not become prideful or arrogant. So King David has been gifted this position of power and authority by God. David was the one anointed by God to shepherd and lead God's people. And scripture makes it pretty clear that that David's kingship didn't emerge from some sort of violent overthrow or coercive maneuver. Um, It's not something that David necessarily accomplished all on his own. Uh, Rather, David's kingship is pure gift, grace freely flowing from the God of creation. So how does David steward this gift? 
How does David use the power and the privilege, the responsibilities that God has given him? And before we answer that question, I think it's maybe appropriate to ask ourselves this question. How are we stewarding the gifts, the opportunities, the powers and privileges that God has given us, perhaps the powers and privileges that society gives us? How are we stewarding those things, both individually and communally? How are we utilizing our gifts and our abilities to further God's kingdom? How are we leveraging our powers and privileges to fight for those who can't fight for themselves or to be a voice for the voiceless? How are we using our gifts to be good neighbors? And communally, how do we, how do we utilize this building, this space here on 8th and Lee, which is pure gift, to be, how do we utilize this space to be good and useful neighbors? You know, and I think as a local body of believers who gathers here weekly, we too are kind of in this place of potential. God has gifted us each individually with wonderful gifts, um, powers, privileges, and abilities. And I look around the room and I see people who are gifted teachers and artists and business people and tech people and pastors and gifted moms and dads and students and musicians. And as Justin reminded us last week, we have a lot of gifted therapists Uh, We have gifted architects and physical therapists and personal trainers and lawyers, and the list goes on. Uh, We have gifted neighbors. And so God has gifted us this space, this building, to be a tangible, physical reminder of the power of resurrection. It's a space and a place to gather, pray, tell stories, share struggles, celebrate together, serve. It's a place that we weekly celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. These are just some of the gifts and the powers and privileges that God has graced us, both individually and communally. And so again, the question is, how will we steward them? And this is one of the questions that your pastoral staff and leadership team are asking themselves and praying about. How are we to steward that which has been so freely given to us? Because The temptation with with gifts and with powers and privileges is to kind of turn inward, uh, to to turn back toward ourselves. Because when when gifts and powers and privileges are threatened, uh, we'll do just about anything to protect them. So rather than steward that which has been given so freely for the sake of God's kingdom, uh, for the sake of our neighbors, there's this tendency to, to abuse the gift or the power or privilege, and that comes at the expense of others. And, and this isn't something necessarily that we do purposefully, uh, but it's rather kind of a gut reaction in fear to protect that which we think is ours, that which we think we possess and that we've uh, gained somehow on our own. And so back to David, the, the question was, how does David steward this gift? How does David use the power and the privilege and the responsibility that God has given him? And so as we read, at first, he really does pretty well. Uh, The text says David grew greater and greater because the Lord was with him. He would be a king who defended the cause of the poor, who gave deliverance to the needy from oppression and violence. He honored and feared the Lord, and he didn't exalt himself above other community members. And he did not become prideful or arrogant. He instead administered justice and equity to all his people. 
But if we continue reading in the story of David, we see that he actually fulfills both potentials, uh, all potentials. Um, One commentary says, he's the faithful servant of God, a man after God's own heart, whose sin leads to rebellion, death, and plague. He's the loving father who does nothing to avenge the rape of his daughter. He's the strong king whose own son rebels against him. In David, we see all the glory and tragedy that we are capable of. Because the power and authority that David was given to shepherd, to care for those under his watch, became that which he abused. Uh, The position and privilege that God had gifted David, he exploits. And it's out of this abuse that his family and nation then suffer. Uh, He became a king consumed by stockpiling riches and building fancy buildings uh, and obtaining uh, great titles and securing a dynasty and building armies and hoarding land and possessions. And instead of stewarding that which God had given him, he abuses it. And instead of leveraging the power and privileges he had for the sake of God's kingdom, he uses it for personal gain. And I think it's pretty clear God has gifted us, uh, one, this beautiful space. Um, God has gifted us you, the, the people of God, with certain gifts and abilities, abilities and powers and privileges. Uh, and he gifts us with opportunities every day at work, within our family, on our drive home, as we're out to eat. Um, gives us opportunities to, to steward our time, to steward our resources well. Um, and so we ask, how will we steward that which has been given to us? And what will be the fruit of our church here on 8th and Lee? And so I think at first we, we obviously, we pray and we ask for God's discernment as to how we should be using our gifts and talents and resources and abilities and powers and privileges in the way that God would have us use them here on 8th and Lee. And as much as a Sunday school answer as it is, uh, we turn to Jesus. We recognize that, that all we have is a gift from God. And this is more than, than just money. I'm not talking specifically about money. But, but it's every, every dollar we make. It's, it's every talent, gift, ability we have, every second of our lives. All of this has been given to you so that you might be the tangible expression of God's love to those around you. It's all gift. It's all grace. And as disciples of Jesus... We look to Jesus to see how he stewarded that which was given to him. How did Jesus steward his power and privileges? How does Jesus lead and shepherd God's people? He spent his life, all he had for the sake of others. He took his body, his blood, broken and poured out. And he gave it so that we might do the same. And despite King David's and our tendency and capacity to mistrust David or to mistrust God, uh, our tendency to protect that uh, what we have because we fear we'll lose it. God's covenantal love and grace still choose you, and God's grace still invites you to come to the table. And so we come to this table because it's at the table where we are taught and reminded how to be good stewards. And it's at the table that we are reminded that all is grace. 
all we have is gift. And at the table, we experience the risen Christ. We experience the forgiveness of sins. We grow in God's grace, a grace that transforms us. And so we receive the body and blood of Christ broken and poured out so that we might become that which we received, broken and poured out for the sake of the world. As we come to this table, I want you to know this is not a Nazarene table. This is a family table. It's Jesus' table, and it's open to all who recognize their need for grace. And we want no barriers, so our bread is gluten-free and our wine is non-alcoholic. And I invite you in a moment to come down the aisle to your left with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. And we do not take communion. It's something that we receive. It's a gift. So allow these to serve you. Listen to what they say. Dip the bread in the cup and then eat it. And if you're unable to come down the aisle or you need assistance, please just wave at our friend Justin and he'll come and bring the elements to you. So would you pray with me and then we will come to the table. God, we are grateful for your grace. For the gifts that you have given us. uh, More than just tangible gifts, Lord. And so Lord, we ask that you would give us the wisdom and discernment as we seek your guidance to know how to steward that which has been given to us, uh, both in our own individual lives and communally. As we come to this table, Lord, may your grace shape and transform us to be the good and useful neighbors that we want to be. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Come when you are ready.